So welcome to today's episode of the Independent Teacher Podcast. And I'm really pleased to be joined by Aish Machani. We're going to be talking in particular about your work for the United Nations. We're recording this at a time where you know the world is in a very difficult situation. And I think the role that you've got at the moment, you'll be able to shed some light on it as a, as a young person. So let's start then. Can you tell us about your role as a United Nations Foundation Next Generation Fellow? That's quite quite a mouthful. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so for, for the context, the UN Foundation is one of the key partners that works with the UN to kind of support their work and promote it. And um, it's how this role came about was last year, I think, uh, the or just after the 75th anniversary of the United Nations, the Secretary General uh, decided that it was very much time to reevaluate how the organisation had been performing over the last 75 years and start putting forward recommendations as to how the organisation could improve going forward. So to do this, he launched this really big process um, to get inputs from people from all backgrounds for a report called Our Common Agenda. And one of the key groups of people that he wanted to get input was uh, was from young people, kind of actually, I say a group, I think about half the world's population. So the pretty big group and the UN Foundation was the partner that he picked to kind of support on this. So what the UN Foundation did was recruit eight next generation fellows that included myself. Um, and what we did was consult with young people from all around the world and share what they thought should go into the Secretary General's report. And we also put together our own report called Our Future Agenda, which kind of focuses specifically on priorities for young people and future generations. So that was what we kind of did last year. And now we're really just trying to turn some of the ideas in this report into action. But can you expand on that and tell us what your vision and plans for future generations are? Yeah, um, so I'm trying going to try and avoid UN buzzwords here, but the, the key kind of things that we called for in our report, our manifesto, was uh, we called for a new deal for a new generation. So young people are kind of facing critical issues, like critical challenges across a few different fields. So, for example, there's a huge number of young people not in school um, and a lot of young people in school aren't really learning what they need. Obviously, once the pandemic hit, many people stopped going to school and some of them might never return. Second issue in like the job sector where there's a load of young people like graduating or um, leaving school without as I said, the skills that they need, and then also struggling in workplaces where they face discrimination for being young, or they're um, kind of being exploited in informal markets in, in various parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And then it, uh, the, the climate issue, I think, is, you know, a, an obvious one, which is going to challenge young people as they're growing up. So yeah, we called for a new deal for a new generation. So kind of urgent action to address these uh, problems coming out of the pandemic, but also uh, some kind of longer term policies to address the like systemic failures across all of these issues. And then the kind of second big thing that we called for was introducing new ways of making sure that young people are actually represented in the international system in the big policy discussions, which are actually going to be affecting their future. So making sure that they're included in national dialogues, international dialogues, and just generally given uh, space to shape their own futures. What about the focus on girls? 
because that's a real issue, isn't it, around the world? You know, girls are discriminated against, girls aren't safe, girls aren't in education. Was that something that was touched on in your report? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the key things um, that we tried to make really clear was that young people are like absolutely not a homogenous group of people. And within that, there's obviously half of the, the population which are like young women who face entirely different issues. And I think some of the the really interesting stuff coming, research coming out of the pandemic was that the shift to online working, online engagement has actually really endangered young women and girls much more than it has uh, any, their, their male counterparts. And there's there's loads of new fa- findings coming out about that. So yeah, that, that did feature a huge amount. We're definitely committed to trying to bring a feminist angle to as much of our work as we can. When you talk there about the concerns of young people and having more say in the policies that are being made, is it incredibly, incredibly frustrating that you don't seem sometimes to have a great deal of influence on some of the political decisions that are being taken? And I'm thinking and referring here to the to the UK and to COP26 and to the way in which I felt some of those young people, they must feel so disenfranchised by everything. Yeah, I, I think it is absolutely frustrating. I think um, there's a almost like a myth that's emerged about young people, that they're disinterested in politics, apathetic about the future because they don't turn up to, um, you know, uh, voting booths and things like that when voting day comes around. But I think that's not really because they're apathetic. It's because they no longer see formal institutions as the way to actually create change because they've tried and tried again to to bring about change through these institutions and it's not really working for them. And as you say, that's why there were so many young people protesting in the streets around COP26 in Glasgow um, and across the world for like the Fridays for the Future strike movements and things like that. So yeah, I think it is frustrating and young people are trying to find new, new ways of expressing that. In some ways it's working. I think young people have really been at the forefront of pushing action on climate change. But in other ways, it's not. There are actually huge numbers of young protesters being persecuted in various parts of the the world. So, yeah, I think it's a hugely frustrating situation when you can see that leaders are failing to do what you need them to do. You have the solutions, but you're not being listened to. So what would some of your solutions be in order to overcome some of these challenges that we are all facing, not not just young people, but everyone? Yeah, I mean, that that's a, a great question. I think there's, there's various solutions across all the things, but I think the, the key kind of principle here is that at the moment, a lot of our decision-making bodies, whether that's at the local, national, international level, are really, really focused on the short term, like everyday policies, because that's, that's just how governments work. They're concerned about five-year election terms, not necessarily about what's happening for the future. But if people really, really started to think about the future and what we owe to generations coming ahead of us and what we owe to to the young people that are alive today, then I think it would encourage just better long-term thinking about things. So coming out of the pandemic, I think less than a fifth of the money that's being spent on pandemic recovery across lots of countries is actually being spent on green and sustainable initiatives. Whereas if you actually upped that amount and started to think about how we could recover in a sustainable way, that would mean that we were setting ourselves up well for recovery from this and setting ourselves up well to deal with the climate um, crisis. 
obviously it's about getting publicity for the work that you are doing. Now, you write, don't you, for the World Politics Review. I'm sure it's behind a paywall, though, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, yeah it, is, it is behind a paywall, unfortunately. So um, I think the way to get around to the links in a free capacity is if you get them on Twitter and click on the World Politics Review link. So that's that's my hack for listeners. Yeah, World Politics Review, it's, uh, it's pretty much all, it's all online and it, it kind of offers in-depth analysis on current affairs and like you know the the wider international system and I was asked to be a columnist for this because of my role as a next generation fellow so I write an article every Tuesday and I was asked to specifically write about um, the issues concerning young people and also this idea about um, of intergenerational justice so uh, intergenerational justice the idea that there's between generations we sort of have a responsibility towards one another and um, at the moment because of the decisions we're making today we're kind of limiting the options of our of our sort of descendants so how do we try and make things more intergenerationally just Um, and that's as I said kind of links back to what I was saying about you know spending in green and sustainable initiatives today to better um, you know to make sure that our descendants have a better like environmental inheritance and things. And looking ahead then, do you ever see a situation in a country like the UK or other well-developed nations that there could be intergenerational conflict? Um, I think it's probably already happening in some ways. So the, the UK is one of lots of countries actually that has an aging population at the moment. And that means that young people are becoming a really, really small proportion of the population. And that's reflected, obviously, in who voters are. And and then kind of by consequence, that's reflected in what decisions the government like governments are making. So when the budget was set for this year, spending on education was cut. Unfortunately, that does mean that it's probably likely to cause conflict between uh, generations. So, yeah, I think I think that is a sad and likely reality if we don't try and address some of those issues now. Mm. Yeah. OK. Are there any other articles that you published in World Politics Review, again, that you think our listeners might might be quite interested in? One that might appeal to a like broad audience is um, I wrote an article about the like global education crisis. What kind of policies we might have to look towards to start trying to address that? Um, and then maybe for listeners that are more interested in the UN and and its workings, my most recent article actually uh, kind of worked around the question of you know do we still need the UN? Like how relevant is the UN today considering? Um, that it was basically set up to prevent war and to help save future generations. And this is in the week where Russia has invaded Ukraine and uh, the IPCC has come out with a new report saying we've essentially just not moved fast enough to address the climate crisis in any real way. So, um, yeah, that I think would be quite an interesting article if you're interested in what the UN does and whether it's still important today. And just on a very basic level, what's it been like writing an article every week? 
and meeting the deadlines and finding something to write about as well. Oh, it's exhausting. I did I did my degree at the University of Cambridge. It was never as exhausting as this. It's just very hard to um, stay fresh and stay exciting. And I mean, it's also quite a big responsibility. If, if I'm, I'm their only young writer, I'm the pers- person that's supposed to be offering a youth perspective on everything. So it's really hard to try and stay true to what young people are around the, around the world will feel like and not just myself. We're going to move now to looking backwards, not looking forwards. And I want to talk about education because this is fundamentally an education podcast for teachers, parents, students, former students. Now, how well did your own education, either at school or at university, do you think prepare you for your current fellowship role? I mean, I don't I just don't really think I'd be where I am today without the education I had um not just because I went to a great school KHS is really academically um kind of it really pushes you to to be the best that you can be but I think it's also the kind of soft skills that I picked up both at KHS and at the university that have really helped me so um opportunities like when I was in sixth form there was an MUN society and that gave me loads of opportunities to learn about the UN to uh, kind of start debating with uh, with students from other schools which was great for my public speaking and and debating skills and then there was also some kind of more one-off opportunities so I think in sixth form we had the chance to do some seminar lunches where we invited people from uh, like the school school governing board and, and parents and things and I actually think the topic that I spoke on was do we still need the UN? So that was really, really formative. And again, um, the same thing happened at uh, Cambridge, where I've obviously learned really important skills, research, and and that's really helped me both as a columnist and in my in my everyday role as a next gen fellow. But then again, I kind of was part of loads of societies organizing events and 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 things like that, which you know th- those organizational and leadership skills are yeah absolutely vital for what I do. And what about teachers? Was there a a teacher or a number of teachers who had an impact on you and inspired you when you were at school? Once you reached out, I was thinking about this and it's been a lot of fun actually looking back and thinking about all of my teachers. And um, I messaged a few of my friends and we've had a great brainstorming session about, you know, uh, who who some of our favourite teachers were. So there were, there were loads of great people. But I think I, I would probably like to give out um, a shout out to someone I had as an economics teacher in sixth form. So Miss Evans, Penny Evans. Um, she was great. Uh, I think at school, you often lose sight of the bigger picture of why you're learning about the things that you're learning. And I think she was always really great at making sure that what we felt like what we were learning about really related to like the actual world. Um, so we'd often have conversations that went beyond the curriculum to to encourage us to think about um what yeah, why we were learning what we were learning. So that I think that was really helpful and it and it did kind of help me think about what I wanted to do in the future and things like that. Good. I know she's a regular listener of the program as well. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing in your role in relation to this awful situation in in Ukraine? And 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 I must admit, you know, from a historical perspective, I find it really difficult to see what's happening. So what what's your view? Aish, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. I think, yeah, I also have more like that historical political perspective and it is just really disheartening seeing what's what's happening. 
even if I'm not working directly on the crisis or anything in my everyday job, I can see how it's essentially derailing conversations about loads of really exciting things that have been happening. Um, Like the world is kind of slowly coming out of a pandemic. And just at this moment of, of potential recovery, we've now hit another crisis. So that's that is just quite quite sad. And I mean, that that's that's essentially the issue is conflict is is bad in and of itself, but it also halts progress on almost everything else. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure I can offer much advice in, in terms of, you know, how 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 we how people can deal with it and what needs to be done. Um, it's just a it's just a really sad state of affairs, I think. Are you getting feedback in your role then about how young people are responding to this particular crisis? Yeah, I mean, a bit. Um, I think it's all still very fresh at the moment. I think people are really actually just taking some time to digest it. It's, it's a huge shock to, well, the whole world, but especially us in, in Europe, where it's completely, it's not been the case for a really long time. I mean, I, th- I think, but, but already you can see that young people are stepping up to do some exciting things. So they've already uh, started putting together like networks for donations for refugees coming out of Ukraine. So that's, that's, I mean, really encouraging in the sense that, you know, every, every challenge that I've seen being chucked at some of the young activists I work at, they have really inventive ways of trying to meet them and rise to them. Does it sadden you a little bit when you look at the UK government's response in terms of refugees uh yes <laughs> i think yeah i think the policy towards refugees is 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 really sad and i think if we can't respond in a more positive way to people like in europe that we have had such a strong historical and and like affiliation with i just don't really know how who, who we should be opening the borders to and welcoming it's just a bit ridiculous <laughs> that we can't do more now what would you like to be doing and where would you like to be in the next five to ten years? I want to say I have a really clear plan but I absolutely don't and I think if anything the pandemic has taught me that it's probably best not to plan too much it might just get derailed anyway so that's kind of one answer I think my second answer is that um so starting in September I would actually like to start a master's uh in things related to environmental policy and regulation so that's kind of what I'm really interested in the climate crisis is increasingly the kind of issue that's going to affect every single person um in the 21st century and and beyond um so I just want to make sure that I'm involved in efforts to try and tackle that in any way that I can um and in terms of what that means it you know, my my job, I would really like to be involved with policymaking across the international system, if that's possible. So this role as a Next Generation Fellow has been really great at prepping me um, for the kind of job that I want to have going forward too. You wouldn't consider a career in teaching then? <laughs> um, potentially. I actually, I, would, I wouldn't rule it out. I think... Um, <laughs> I think good teachers can make all the difference. So I would have to be confident enough that I think I'd be a good teacher, but I, I would love to. I love working with young people and probably would make me feel youthful even as I get older. <laughs> no, I don't think it would, honestly. Maybe not then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was obviously the politician's answer. The real answer, no, you don't want to be a teacher. 
probably not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're coming to the last question. Now, I love reading, okay? At the moment, I'm reading, um, it's quite an old book, actually. It was published in 2002 called Winston's War by mm -hmm. Michael Dobbs. And it's actually set in 1938, you know, as Neville Chamberlain comes back with his piece of paper saying peace in our time. So very relevant in terms of what we're going through um, yeah. today. Do you have any book recommendations for our listeners? Yeah, well, I, I've, I tend to have two books on the go, one that's a bit more heavy and then one that's a bit more lighthearted. So in terms of heavier and maybe more intellectually enriching, I'm reading um, Half of a Yellow Sun at the moment. It's set in um, the Civil War in uh, Nigeria, so that's sort of late 1960s kind of kind of period. Um, really interesting. It has the perspectives of three individuals um, that are sort of interlinked, but then uh, very different. So that's that's quite interesting. Um, in terms of the lighter one, I've actually just finished the second of Richard Osman's uh, books. So The Man Who Died Twice, that's a great read. Um, I, it's also just really quintessentially British. So that's kind of fun. <laughs> Brilliant book recommendations. Thank you for that. Thank you ever so much, Aish, for joining me on The Independent teacher podcast it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much it's been great reconnecting with you too thank you if you like listening to this podcast please consider giving us a five-star rating either on spotify or apple podcasts